The following podcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Ellen Greenberg was born June 23rd in New York, the only child to Joshua and Sandra Greenberg. The three were very close. All of the closest to Ellen would describe her as cheerful and happy, jovial, if you will. Not long before her bright and fiery flame was put out, her family and close friends noticed a change in her. This is the bizarre story of the death of Ellen Ray Greenberg. You're listening to Unexplained Realms, the podcast. I'm your host, Anne. Joined by my co-host and producer, Eddie V. Welcome. Ellen Ray Greenberg was also known as Ellie. She was cheerful, 27, a first grade teacher located in Philadelphia. No one around Ellen was surprised when she chose a career in teaching. She was a loving and nurturing soul who loved children. She was well liked by all of her students. Leaving Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Ellen moved to Philadelphia to begin her teaching career. Sometime after, she met Samuel Goldberg. He was a producer for the TV networks, working with Gladwin to produce for the network NBC, and later Golf.com. All seemed well in this relationship, and after three years, the couple decided to get engaged, hoping to be married in August of 2011. By January 26, 2011, Ellen was planning her wedding, working, and nothing seemed amiss. Though on this particular day, a blizzard hit Philadelphia, and Ellie was sent home early from work. She put gas in her car, headed home to her Venice Lofts apartment that she shared with Samuel. Around 4.45 p.m., Samuel told Ellen he was going to the apartment's on-site gym. He was only gone for about 30 minutes. Arriving back to the apartment, he was unable to get in as the swing lock from the inside 
was engaged. He could not fully open the door. Samuel shouted for his fiancée to open the door. Then began calling and sending frantic texts to her phone. The texts you are about to hear are Samuel Goldberg's messages to Ellen. Hello? Open the door! What are you doing? I'm getting pissed. Hello? You better have an excuse. What the fuck? Ugh. You have no idea. Sam went down to the lobby and asked the security guard for assistance, as he had been locked out of his apartment. The security guard was alone and refused to break down the door with Sam. Sam returned to the security guard in the lobby several times, but the guard would not assist him. Finally, breaking down the door himself, he entered his apartment and found Ellen in a sitting position on the kitchen floor. Her upper body was against the kitchen cabinets and her legs in front of her. Ellen had been stabbed 20 times. In her left hand, she was holding a white towel. It was immaculately clean considering the amount of blood that surrounded her. On their kitchen counter was a half-eaten bowl of fruit. Ellen had a 10-inch serrated steak knife embedded several inches into her chest. She had been stabbed 20 times, eight in her chest, 10 in the back of her neck, one stab wound to her abdomen and one across the scalp. There were no signs of a struggle, no signs of an intruder or forced entry. Sam made a call to 911 at 6.33 p.m. The operator told him to begin administering CPR. His response to that was, Do I have to? He then told the operator that there was a knife sticking out of Ellen's chest that he hadn't noticed. He stated she must have fallen on it. The operator told Sam not to continue with CPR. Authorities pronounced Ellen dead by 6.40 p.m. Examiners noted the stab wounds, but also 11 bruises in various stages of healing on Ellie's right arm, right leg, her abdomen. With no suicide note, 
the medical examiner ruled this a homicide. Though, the couple lived on the sixth floor and even if someone had scaled their balcony, they found no evidence of this or footprints in the snow. Surveillance cameras picked nothing strange or suspicious up. While further investigating, it was discovered that Ellen was having severe anxiety and had even asked her parents if she could just move home without Sam. Her parents noted during the investigation that something was bothering her, but they couldn't determine what it was. Initially, law enforcement treated this as a suicide, which caused them not to process particular items at the scene such as two knives in the sink? Could those knives have been used in the stabbings? They also didn't use luminol, the chemical that shows blood even after it's been cleaned. Could someone have attacked Ellen from behind and later cleaned the blood? I only mention this because the placement of the wounds seemed to be almost impossible to have been inflicted by herself. Sometime after the medical examiner ruled this a homicide, he changed his ruling to a suicide. Leaving the family powerless and stopping any further investigation, Ellen's family asked to review the file. But the police department made that almost impossible, stating they could come into the department and look at the file only. They would not be allowed to take pictures, notes, or remove the file. Only sit down and look at it. Ellen's family just couldn't stand by this ruling and the feeling of helplessness. They hired their own team to investigate Ellen's bizarre death. Their goal with their own investigation was to change the ruling of suicide back to homicide, which would force the authorities to continue investigating. To assist in obtaining crime scene photos and the autopsy report, the family teamed up with former Pennsylvania Attorney General Walter Cohen. They then connected with retired Dauphin County Detective Tom Brennan. He agreed to take the case pro bono and reinvestigate the case. He poured over the records and re-interviewed those who were involved. Next, the family hired Cyril Wecht, a very well-known forensic pathologist. Cyril has performed over 15,000 autopsies, including the autopsies of JFK, Sharon Tate, 
and John Bonet Ramsey. Cyril Wecht was the president of the American Academy of Forensic Sciences and the American College of Legal Medicine. He also headed the board of trustees of the American Board of Legal Medicine. Within his career, he served as a county commissioner and was Allegheny County coroner and medical examiner in the Pittsburgh metropolitan area. Cyril Wecht may be remembered best for the harsh criticism of the findings in the JFK assassination. His reports on Ellen will be located at unexplainedrealms.com. Though, I can say he did not believe this was a suicide. Basing it on the location of the wounds in the back of her neck, Cyril stated those wounds were almost impossible to have been done by Ellen herself, which disputes what authorities claim their own forensic pathologist stated. Authorities claim their forensic pathologist stated the injuries could have been self-inflicted as she stabbed the spinal cord, rendering her paralyzed. Paralysis, according to this pathologist, would cause her to feel no pain and continue stabbing herself. Though, another review of the case in 2018, the state attorney general's office came to a conclusion that Ellen was suffering from emotional troubles, seeing a therapist, and claimed that searches were found on her computer regarding methods of suicide. The Greenbergs never believed there were searches of suicide on her computer. They took the case to local and national media. Shows such as the Inside Edition quickly aired the case, and the family went on to create social media pages. The case has remained listed as a suicide. Though, 10 years later in 2021, the Greenberg's family attorney, Joe Pedraza, has stated he and the family now possess a forensic evaluation of Ellen's computer hard drive, showing she did not make any searches regarding death or suicide. The authority's pathologist was also questioned about her statement that the injuries could have been self-inflicted. But this pathologist? She claimed she was never involved in this case. Simply that the authorities must have just used her name. Armed with new evidence and information, the Greenberg's attorney will go to trial late in the year of 2021. His goal? To prove that death should be ruled a homicide and not a suicide. 
Did Ellen commit suicide by dabbing herself 20 times in the back, the neck, and the chest? Or was she a victim of a blitz attack, giving her no ability to defend herself? I guess we have to wait for the trial later this year. But for now, we will leave this to the realms of the unexplained. In what world do these investigators think they can justify that severing a nerve would allow a person to theoretically continue stabbing at themselves? That is just not a medically possible scenario. It just isn't possible. The whole thing reeks of a payoff by someone with a lot of money to pay for their desired outcome and in their mind, thereby closing the case. Do they actually think things would end there? Right, but I think uh, lazy police work and also there was that huge blizzard that night. And I think they just wanted to conclude things and go home. Exactly. That's how it smells to me. And the forensic pathologist stated that she had nothing to do with the case. It reeks of an attempted cover-up. I agree. They wanted a quick and easy wrap-up to the case that stormy night. I definitely want to point out that there was a half-eaten bowl of fruit on the counter and two knives in the sink. Those knives were never tested, so could they have been rinsed off? Could they have been used? Nevertheless, fiancé left for the gym, they said, at 4.45, came back, and the 911 call wasn't placed until 6.30. He was gone for 30 minutes, so you're telling me that for 45 minutes he couldn't find a way to get into the apartment? Yeah. It would be interesting to see once the trial takes place if they use security camera footage of his alleged presence in the gym at that stated time. Definitely agree. I look forward to this trial later in 2021. If you're new, you can visit us at unexplainedrealms.com, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to smash those like, subscribe, and follow buttons. And don't forget to hit the show notifications button on Spotify so you get reminders when we drop a new episode. Don't forget to click on our sponsors' links when visiting unexplainedrealms.com. With a variety of brands and products to choose from and the most exclusive deals just for you. Support for this podcast comes from Anchor.fm and V Media Studios.